there's this story of uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine when he comes, when he first came to the Lord in the fourth century. They talk about when he first uh, made the transition to worshiping with the people. And back then in the early church, they didn't, not everyone had Bibles. Usually, if they were lucky, a congregation would have a copy of the scriptures. And so when they would meet, they would give themselves to the extended reading of scripture. We're not going to do that this morning. But the funny, the, the interesting thing about that story is when Constantine would come, he would stand for the entire reading of the scripture. And this would go on for hours on end. And the people, they would often turn to him and say, sit down, rest, don't wear yourself out. And Constantine would refuse to do it. And what he would often say back is, to sit at the word of the king is to despise the king. He would say, to sit at the word of the king is to despise the king. What he meant is, obviously, as the emperor of the known world, he knew a little bit about authority. He knew a little bit about what it meant to have the king's word despised. He also knew what it meant to have the king's word heeded. And his point wasn't so much about the standing or sitting during the reading of scripture, but it was that when the king spoke, when the king called, it demanded a response. That the king's word demands a response. And so in uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been moving through a series in the book of Proverbs. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at All of life hinges on just one principle, which is whether we respond to or despise the invitation of relationship with Jesus. Then last week, we took a look at how that invitation comes, that Jesus himself broke into history like a street preacher calling us to himself. And today, the Holy Spirit breaks into our hearts and our lives and bids us right in the midst of where we are to come to him, find rest in him. And so naturally, this morning, we come to the question, how should we respond? That if the king of heaven has broken in to our lives and bid us come to himself, that call demands a response. So this morning, we're going to take a look at what that response is. If you have a Bible uh, or a phone, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you don't have one, there's uh, the text included at the top of your sermon guide. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Proverbs 2, 1 to 11. My son, If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. We, uh, Jen and I live in this neighborhood just outside of, uh, instead of coming to town center this way, you turn the other way on Gate Parkway and it's right on there in the corner. And if you've been driven by, you'll see all this construction happening. One of the things they're doing in our neighborhood is they've been putting in uh, new basketball courts, new tennis courts. And the reason they've been doing it is our old tennis courts had these huge cracks in them. There were these big mounds that were starting to pop up and the sidewalk around them was a little cattywampus. Y'all know that word? It was a little, a little jigsaw. 
What was happening is when they first built the neighborhood, they planted these little oak saplings right next to the basketball court. And after they planted them, these, it would start to build these deep, powerful, huge roots that 20 years later have made its way under the basketball court and begun to rip up the concrete and the asphalt. And so obviously because of the, these roots, the tree itself has begun to grow. And uh, so we find ourselves in need of, of replacing the basketball court. But listen to how one scientist uh, describes a tree growing roots. It says, no risk is more terrifying than that taken by the first root. A lucky root will eventually find water, but its first job is to anchor. Once the first root is extended, the plant will never again enjoy any hope of relocating to a place of less cold, less dry, less dangerous. Indeed, it will face frost, drought, and greedy jaws without any possibility of flight. This is a gamble. But if the seed takes root, it can go down 12, 30, 40 meters. And the results are powerful. The tree's roots can swell and split bedrock and move gallons of water daily for years, much more efficiently than any pump yet invented by man. If the root takes root, then the plant becomes all but indestructible. Tear apart everything above ground, everything, and most plants can still grow rebelliously back from just one intact root, more than once, more than twice. Since we come to Proverbs chapter two, what we find is uh, a father, Solomon, giving some advice to his son. And he just walked through the call of the street preacher, which is to bid him to come to the Lord. And what you find here is uh, the Solomon gives his son some advice about what to do with his words. And what he says is stored up in yourself. You'll catch that in uh, verse one. In other words, what he means is put down roots in it. He says, abandon yourself to it, take it seriously. And we've been talking over the last couple of weeks how uh, Proverbs is a foreshadow that points us to Jesus. And so on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he's having a final conversation with his disciples and three times, he says the same thing. He says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He says, if you love me, you will keep my word. And then again, he says, if anyone has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And then just a couple sentences later, he says, abide in me like a branch abides in a tree. He says, turn and abide in me and find life in me, the tree or, or the vine. You all might recognize that analogy. So what Jesus is saying here is that look for life in relationship with him. And that means a growing relationship with his word. Y'all tracking with me? That a growing relationship with Jesus means a growing relationship with his word. And so we find the same exact uh, advice here in Proverbs chapter two, especially verses one through four what we find is the, the father turns to the son and says, develop a growing relationship with my word. And then he gives him three ways to do that. He says, storing up the word means first, pay attention to it. Incline your heart towards it. So in other words, what he's saying here is uh, like that 
very first seed that faced the option of putting down roots, he's saying, turn to the soil of my word, abandon yourself to other hopes, and then drive deep down into it. Take it seriously. Then the second thing that he says is, um, cry out for understanding. It's really interesting when you think about, uh, at this point, the father is talking about his own word, which is the word of a king, and a metaphor about the Lord's word. And what he's saying is that that word comes from outside of us, which in other words means it's not our word. So what he's saying is as you pay attention to it, as you turn towards the word, what you need to remember is that it's not your word. He's saying when you come to it, don't read your own meaning into it. Don't layer your own meaning on top of it, but cry out to understand it. I had this, uh, this mentor in college and he was helping me think about how to read the Bible. And what he used to always say to me was, Kevin, it's not your job to read the word. It's your job to let the word read you. You hear that? It's not your job to read the word, but it's your job to let the word read you. And then he gives him a, a third uh, thing to do. He accelerates by saying, search for it like silver. Seek it out like hidden treasure. If you ask Jen, she'll tell you the story about last week. I, I lost my wallet. I don't lose, it's, I don't really lose my wallet all that often. But um, when I did, as soon as I realized it was gone, I tore our house apart. I tore both of our cars apart. I called Starbucks while I was on my way to drive to Starbucks to see if they had it. I retraced every single place I had been to find it. And the good news is I found my wallet. But here's the point, is the tremendous value of my wallet created an urgency and an intentionality to search it out. We're like that. When we see something of tremendous value, we search for it and we seek it out. And that's what the father's saying to the son is he's saying, pay attention to my word, realize that it's not from you, cry out for understanding, but listen, search for it because it's valuable. And this isn't new, it's um, every, the whole entire history of the people of God has been like this. Then Joshua 1, when he takes over for Moses after he dies, the Lord calls him into the tent. And what does he say? He says, be strong and courageous because you're fixing to have a, a crazy couple of years. But then he says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. And then Solomon, the, the, the human author of this book, as he took the throne, the very first thing that he had to do, the first thing that was required of him as king is he had to sit down across from the priests and he had to hand write a copy of the word of God. And then what he had to do is he had to take that word and he was supposed to keep it with him every day. And every day he was supposed to read from it. So this is the king of Israel. And the very first act he had to do was to submit himself uh, to a preoccupation with the word of God. But the, probably for us today, the very best example of what it means to store up the word in our hearts is Psalm 1. Do y'all know this one? You can, I won't read it. To, I'm not gonna read all of it to you, but if you want to, you can turn to it. Psalm 1 starts by saying, blessed is the man 
whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And this amazing image, he says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. See, it says that uh, the man who's blessed, the man who flourishes, is the man who meditates on the Lord's word day and night. Now, meditation has uh, some baggage lately. You know, there's the rise of yoga and there's the rise of new age stuff, but here's what meditation means. Meditation means take it seriously. It means create space in your life for it. It means be intentional towards it. Uh, Those of you who are in corporate America or maybe even private business, if you've ever had a mid-year or a year-end review, or maybe one of those career conversations where you talk about like what's gonna happen next, you probably know what meditation is. It's this, you come to the meeting, you sit down and you hang on every single word your boss says. And then as soon as the meeting's over, you replay it and you examine it for every possible meaning. What exactly did he mean by this? Or what exactly did he mean by that? And your, your uh, processing of it eventually makes its way home. You turn to your spouse and you tell your spouse everything that your boss said and you, you try to figure out what it meant. And then if you live with roommates, you tell your roommates the thing. And then if you don't live with roommates, you tell your coworkers and they hear about it. And then eventually about a week later, you have another conversation with your boss where you ask for clarification about the thing that they said. <laughs> and then you think about it some more, right? The point is, is that meditation means preoccupation. And just like in that example, when you get mid-year or performance uh, review or uh, career advice, your heart and your mind and your life become preoccupied with it. And so do the people around you. See, that's what uh, Proverbs 2.1 and then Psalm 1 is saying to us, is that our very first response to the call of the Lord is to become preoccupied with his word. Our very first response is to turn to it like a, like a seed does the soil and put down deep roots inside it and search for life in it, search for water in it. So I wanna ask you a question this morning. What's your posture towards the Bible, towards this thing? Is it something that you avoid? Maybe if you don't avoid it, do you read it out of obligation? Do you read it out of a sense of duty? Or do you see this as an amazing privilege, as an asset in your life that life comes from? See, Proverbs 2 opens up by telling us that that our first response to the king's word is to take it seriously, to become preoccupied with it. And what it means to become preoccupied with it is to meditate on it day and night, to talk about it when we rise up and when we lie down, when we go out and when we come in. Say it again, it means to become preoccupied with the scriptures, to become preoccupied with the king's word. And so naturally we come to the second question, why would we do that? 
If we're going to avoid this turning into moralism, turning into y'all should read your Bible more, then we need to talk about what's in it for us or, or what's the Lord's intent towards us, what's his promises. And so as we do that, we'll turn to uh, verses five through eight. So if you're following along, take a look there. What you'll notice here is um, it's interesting. Solomon uh, eventually gives up the metaphor and he starts talking directly about the word of the Lord. You pick that up in verse six, he says, uh, he, he talks about the words that come from the mouth of Yahweh. He's no longer talking about his own word. And what he says in summary is that when we engage with this word, two things happen. It says, you will understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. You'll understand the fear of the Lord and you'll find the knowledge of God. So what those two things mean are finding the knowledge of God doesn't mean uh, you'll, you'll, fig- you'll get your systematic theology figured out or that you'll learn all the facts about God's history. Finding the knowledge of God, it comes from the word that means intimacy. It means you will come to know the Lord personally and intimately. And then it makes a second promise. The fear, uh, understanding the fear of Yahweh means understanding covenant relationship with him. In other words, it says that once you've understood, once you've grown to know him, you begin to understand what it means to be in relationship with him, right? So let's take a look at how this works. If you turn with me to verse six, and you'll see that it says, wisdom is given by the Lord or wisdom is given by Yahweh. And then the really sweet part, it says, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Uh, I talk about him almost every time I'm up here, but Jen and I have this little three-year-old, Caleb. That dude is a riot. Um, but he's learning a ton right now. And he's asking all these questions. He is uh, making all these observations. But one of the things that he's not able to figure out on his own is relationship and identity. So like, who, who am I? What's my story? Why am I the way I am? How did I become who I am? And Jen, who, who is she? Why is she the way that she is? And for that matter, him, who is he and why is he the way he is? And then what it means to be a daddy, what it means to be a mommy, what it means to be a son, what it means a brother. He can't figure any of that stuff out on his own. And what's interesting is he doesn't even have the categories to ask the right questions about it. What Jen and I have to do, and for on Father's Day, those of you who are parents, you know this, that we have to be proactive in shaping the way he thinks about those things. In other words, we have to reveal it to him. Right, that Caleb's understanding of identity and relationship comes through revelation. And so that's exactly how our relationship with the Lord is. Said here in Proverbs 2, it says that if we're gonna understand relationship with him, and if we're gonna know who he is, if we're gonna know his story, his character, why he is the way he is, who we are, why we are the way we are, where we are. It says that that comes from his mouth into our hearts. And so the first thing I wanna leave you with is the reason that we're called to put roots deep down into the word of the Lord is because in it, we come to know him. That's the place that we come to find intimacy with the Lord. 
And then the second thing that he says is that as, as you come to know someone, right, as you come to figure out who they are and you see yourself in light of them, inevitably comes the question, how do we relate to each other? I didn't plan this analogy, but you know the dating relationship? When you first start hanging out, you always got to define the relationship at some point. You know, it's like, who are you? Who am I? Where's, where's this thing going? Well, that's the other thing you find here is that as we get to know the Lord, necessarily what happens is we begin to understand our relationship with him. We begin to understand what it means to live in light of him. And we'll see that it, it says a couple of things. It says that to know him or to be in relationship with him, turn to verse seven and eight. It says that we come to see that it, our provision doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes from him. And then it says that our security doesn't come from ourselves, but it comes from him. And then it says that he is towards us like a father who sets his eyes on his son. It says that he's a shield around those who walk in the way and that his view is on the way of his loyal ones, right? Or, or here it says his saints. I was just telling you a story about Caleb, but... Um, those of you who know me pretty well, or if we've ever talked to each other after service, you know that as soon as those doors break, that boy starts running laps in here. And he loves, he loves, I guess this is a sanctuary, but he loves this space. And if we're ever talking, I'm usually, I'm, I promise you I'm listening to our conversation. But as we're talking, sometimes you'll see me quickly turn, or I may walk away from you, or I may just sidestep a little bit, and it's because the other thing that I'm doing is I am constantly laying eyes on my son. And right as I know I'm about to lose view of him, I reposition myself, right? I'm tracking Caleb. So that's the way that Proverbs 2 describes our relationship with the Lord. It says that his eyes are fixed on us, that he provides for us and that our security comes from him. And so the primary reason that we put roots deep down in the Lord's word is because in it, we come to know him. He reveals himself to us in it. And then we begin to understand rightly what it means to be in relationship with him. And that, that restructures the way we think about provision and security. And we re, it redefines the way we understand son and father. And so I wanna leave you with a second question this morning. And it's part two of the first one. What is your posture towards the Bible? Do you view it as a rule book? Is it something that you have to use to figure out who God is? Or do you view it as something that he uses to reveal himself to you? Let me ask it to you a different way. Do you view this thing as an obligation? Or do you view the Bible as a means to intimacy? So what we find is that our first response is to put roots deep down in the Lord's word. And then that in that he begins to reveal himself to us. And he begins to redefine our relationship with him and understand what it means to live with him. But it leaves us with the question, do we only bear fruit towards God? Or does our time in the word 
does our, this growing relationship in the, in the word also bear horizontal fruit in our life? In other words, does it only play out after we die or does it play out right now in our life? Y'all know we live in a world that uh, is in the midst of some pretty crazy transition. I was reading a book this weekend and it, was, it actually calls it The Great Transition. And if you um, have been watching the news or even just living life, you'll recognize a couple of things that globally, uh, more people are transplanting from one part of the world to another world at any rate, at a faster rate than any other time in human history. There's the rise of nations like China and India, which for the first time ever are gonna be billion or multi-billion people economies and societies. There's ecological and environmental issues like mass extinction, global warming, uh, the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef. There's the widening of the global economic gap. Do y'all know this? That the top 500 wealthiest people in the world have more money than the whole bottom 50%. 500 people. And then there's our own issues in the U.S., There's these freshly emerging issues like abortion and our own widening economic gap. There's political upheaval. And then there's our re-recognized racial tensions. And not only is it global and US, but it's also personal. There's the advent of the internet and this thing, (laughs) the smartphone. You know, this thing is with us everywhere we go. It's in everything that we do. One way you could describe it is that uh, it helps us in everything we do. It makes us more efficient, but it also accelerates our lives. It rivals uh, the other humans in our life for our attention. Do you know this thing didn't exist 10 years ago? It was June, 2007 that the iPhone came into the world. That's how fast the world is changing. And then because work is uh, portable and we're mobile, we face more career options than any generation ever before. I mean, you can literally work here in Jacksonville today and tomorrow in California and two weeks from now in Singapore. And so with that come awesome opportunities, but there's also this stress around what should I be doing with my life and, and how am I spending it? So my point is not to just rattle all these things off to you. My point is, if we're gonna live in a world in transition, if we're gonna navigate a world in transition, then we need two things. One, we need motivation for living. I mean, it gets down to the core of who we are. And then we need categories for how we think about those things. And so you'll see that we find that here in Proverbs 2, that after he says that, Uh, put down roots in the word and that it produces intimacy with the Lord and we understand his relationship, that then out of that, as we stare at him, we begin to understand a bit of how we should interact with the world. Y'all know it's uh, it's been raining a lot lately. If you came to my house, our community group is in here, but if y'all who came to our house in April and May, you knew our yard had gotten pretty crunchy. It was brown. 
I was actually a little afraid that we were going to lose it, so I started cutting the sprinkler on more. But after several weeks of rain, if you go to our yard now, I mean, that thing is soft and lush and thick. And then we have these hibiscus trees that are in our backyard. And that as the heat beat on it, but the rain wasn't there, those things began to wither pretty quickly. They hung in for a little bit, but they got pretty crunchy also. But then as the rain started to come, they started to roar back. My point's this. Psalm 1, the one that said, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. How does it describe him? Describes him as like a tree planted by a stream of water. It says that when its season come, it bears its fruit. It says that when the season come, its leaf does not wither. And then it says that in every single thing that he does, he prospers. That doesn't mean that he becomes rich or wealthy. It just means that he flourishes. That's another, another word for the word, the word prosper. And so you see that here in Proverbs chapter two that he says that uh, not only do you bear fruit in your relationship with the Lord, but you begin to bear fruit in the world. And so we're gonna take a look at two things. One, how does that fruit come about? And then what is the fruit? So as you turn with me to, uh, let's see, verses nine and then 10. In verse 10, it says, wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You remember that, again, we're talking about Proverbs 2 is pointing us towards Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus' promise was? In John 14, he says, after he said, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. The very next words are, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and we will come to him and I will show myself to him and we will make our home with him. See, it says that when we give ourselves in response to him, to his word, that he begins to make his home with us. He begins to make his home, not just in our home, but in our hearts. And then what it says is that once that starts to happen, our relationship with him doesn't become a burden. It becomes a delight. It becomes pleasant to us. And then out of our delight in our relationship with the Lord, now we have motivation to love our neighbor that because Jesus loves our neighbor and because Jesus first pursued us, once our relationship with our Lord is a delight, then we have the motivation to actually think well about our relationship with others. And so then what kind of fruit does it bear? Again, you remember we, we said that uh, navigating a world in transition means not only do we need motivation, but we also need new categories for thinking. Check out what it says in verse nine. It says that after you've come to understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, in verse five, it says, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. And then it summarizes that by saying every good path. So it says that as we stare at the Lord, as we grow in our relationship with him and our intimacy with him, that what begins to happen is we begin to understand righteousness. This is literally what it means to be right or do the right thing. We begin to understand justice, which is another way of, of saying we begin to learn how to judge well 
or to make good decisions. He says we begin to understand equity, which means how to treat people lovingly and fairly, not just identically. But then it summarizes all of it to say, not just those three things, but everything. That as we begin to stare at the Lord and learn who he is and then learn who we are, that we're, we begin to understand at the category level how to navigate the world. And so my point is this. Our very first response to the Lord is like that seed to abandon ourselves to his claim and put down roots deep into his word. And the reason we do that is he makes the promise that in his word, he reveals who he is and he redefines our relationship and resurrects our heart. And then as he does that, as we begin to understand that our provision and our security come from him, that his eyes are on us, and then that we begin to see who he is, that he is righteous, just, and equitable, we begin to be able to love the people around us. We begin to able, able to navigate things like the great transition because we don't just memorize rules anymore, but we're able to live out of our hearts. We're able to live led by the Holy Spirit. And so the thing I want to close with this morning the third question about this book. What would it look like for you to live a life of delightful preoccupation with the king's work? Let me say it again. What would it look like for you to live a life that is preoccupied with the scriptures? Let's pray. Father, today, as we celebrate Father's Day and we think about our earthly fathers, we acknowledge you as our good father. We thank you that your eyes are on us, that you pursued us, and that even now in your pursuit of us in Christ, you reveal who you are. Holy Spirit, we thank you that as we turn to your word, that from your mouth comes understanding, that from your mouth we begin to understand who we are and how to relate to you. And we thank you, Lord, that not only are you revealing yourself to us, but you're resurrecting our heart. That you, Holy Spirit, go deep down into the dead and broken places in us, call them into life, and that you give us the capacity to flourish in this world. And so Lord, as we turn towards our week and we turn towards a life in an accelerating world, we pray that you would make us a people of your word. We pray that you would make us a people that are preoccupied with the word of our King. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.